This is Yusai. Welcome to Let's Talk, a place for open conversations. We're rose on grownish, blackish, and the sun is also a star. And imagine that. Yoshihiri has already established herself as a very influential actor at the age of 21. Currently, she's studying at Harvard while continues to work on her own production company to create new content and replace her role on Gronish. Yara is also an outspoken advocate and an activist who founded 18 by 18 to encourage voting for youth, as well as working with the Young Women's Leadership Network in mentoring programs. She has interviewed Hillary Clinton for Teen Vogue and continued to use her voice. Despite being extremely articulate, she's very down to earth and a pleasure to talk to. I'm so grateful that you're here, and I want to know. I'm so happy we're able to make this work. You started acting when you're six years old. Did you have any idea that this is where you're going to be? I had no idea. So if I were to start even earlier than that, my my papa, my father is a DP cinematographer, and then my mama is a commercial actress and now producer. And so I started like my first print job. I was six weeks old, and it was for life insurance. And this little <laughs> picture of me, I couldn't even keep my head up. I was like. And and for you, your brother's also in the business, and your mom's、mm-hmm. in the business. So this is a family affair. It is. I think that's what's made it so fun is because my parents have never been like, okay, we're actors. This is all that we're going to do. But they were making sure that whatever we did, we felt like it was a fun activity. So we were still kids in school, traveling, doing all the things that we love to do. And so set just felt like an extension of home because I was always with the people that I loved and. They prioritized from the moment Saeed and I, and then Asan, the youngest one, entered this. Is being like once it stop, once it stops being fun, we stop doing it. Okay, But you in in school? Did you attend regular school during this time, or did you homeschool? I did. I did a mixture of everything. But quite honestly, whether it was Montessori or a distance learning program,、mm. a lot of it was just because that's what I wanted to do academically, regardless. And so, if I wanted, if there was a school、um, that I was in that I felt like、uh, really aligned with me, then that's what we were going to make work, even、wow. with the work stuff. So we've done a bit of everything. I went to an all-girls Catholic school. Went to a Montessori till sixth grade. But it's impossible. It's incredible because you're so articulate, and I'm not saying other kids start to grow up to be adults or not. But a lot of people really do fall into this business and just 100% dedicate itself into it, and they forget、mm-hmm. about education. And no judgment here. There's a decision that everybody makes differently, but education has been such important factor in your whole entire family. Your mom、Absolutely. had a long discussion. I think I talked to your mom when I talked to you that day. I know, <laughs> but I remember because when we did our first shoot together, I was applying to. Yes. So I remember that was like right before I was sending in my application. So it was a big deal because I had my entire family in town helping. And I remember you were nervous that day. You were like,、so、I'm putting、nervous. together my my recommendation letters. And then a couple weeks later, I hear that Michelle Obama wrote a <laughs> recommendation letter. <laughs> yeah. 
I felt so blessed that energy was in my studio that day. I really did, because I remember you're like, okay, what about me? You guys keep talking about me, but let me tell you what's going on. I'm going to apply for college, and I was, I went to, I'm a nerd. Everybody knows I went to so many different I'm colleges. Such a nerd too. I and think we, that's why when we met, it just clicked because it's just a ton of nerds in a room. It's amazing. So, so now, and then you started. Molly was such a young age, and then you get into this role that everybody knows you for now as yeah. blackish. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about that because as a, as a mixed race and as yeah. somebody who is holding the, the title of advocate and feminist, what was it like to get on that set and knowing that this is going to be something that will define you and help you define right. others? Right. I mean, it's interesting because when we walked into Blackish, when I first signed on, it was the untitled Anthony Anderson Kenya Barris project. Had wow. No name. Um, <laughs> And all I knew was that I was working with this cool group of people and that we really resonated with the first couple scripts, but we really didn't know what the direction the show was going to be at that point. I was 13, a sophomore in high school, um, and it was one of my first major commitments. You know, up to that point, I had done movies, I had done guest stars, but nothing that would really require, like, this is what I'm going to be doing for five months of my year, week to week. Um, And... I think it did. It took until the show came out to really see what the impact was going to be. And what I've loved about the perspective of Blackish is that in no way are we claiming to be the Black experience, but it was really beautiful to have a conversation about what one of the experiences looked like. And even with my character, to have a creator of the show that took it really seriously. Um, how we were going to grow my character so that she surpassed just kind of what we expect of female teenage characters on television. And it was fascinating because during that time, another show called um, Fresh Off the Boat started yeah. to happen. And I remember when Fresh, Bo- Fresh Off the Boat happened, I was one of those people who goes, uh, is there going to be an audience? Is American yeah. ready to actually address? You could have called Asian-ish. Right. Taiwan-ish, because they're, they're from Taiwan, and I'm from Taiwan, so I really related to that show, and, and I work with Constantine Sen, so I really do love the notion of that, but I remember then, back then, the sensitivity in wording, the sensitivity of just Absolutely. having that title, Blackish, it was either going to define you or push everybody away, and I couldn't yeah. be more glad and proud to know that our society has evolved and understand that, it's a positive yeah. thing, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was nervous, quite honestly. I remember when, uh, before our first season came out, they put billboards everywhere. So we had already been hearing every which way. People didn't know what the name meant. Like, was Ish supposed to be a clean version of a swear word? Like, what was happening? Um, I even remember before the show came out, I was walking down the street and a bus goes by with the Blackish poster. And all I see is this group of people shake their head. Like, Well, we trained as a society to believe that particular phrase at that time before you you redefined it it was what you see on mtv on vh1 mm-hmm. what you're going to see on reality tv shows on right. like being blackish it is a stereotype what we as non-black people going mm-hmm. to and learn about what black people do kind of like what fresh off the boat was doing to show the asian right. side of what an asian american is right, right. now knowing that I, I thought you had a lot of responsibility. You, you, the show itself now is redefining a context of a word. And that's mm-hmm. amazing to me. And that's education, right? For our audience. Mm-hmm. And then once the show becomes so popular, the responsibility off the screen being blackish. Right. Talk about that. I mean, what I love is that 
in many ways, blackish aligns with kind of how I was generally raised in that mm -hmm. to be on a show that's socially active, that within its first season, we were talking about uh, the intersections of the black community. We were talking about um, police brutality. We have these really large episodes, um, as well as just episodes that were just kind of about the, a day in the life. But I think to be on a show that very much took a stance from its first episode that we weren't going to be politically and socially aware was really perfect because it spoke to how I've been raised. These are the conversations that we're having in our house regardless, to the point where by episode three, I thought they must have had like a, a microphone recording us in our house because I was like, there's no way that we're talking about this, then it becomes a script. But the responsibility became serious because I think that's when I felt empowered being a 14-year-old at that point. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know what other context they'd be asking a 14-year-old, what do you think about the political state of America? unless I was on this show that was talking about politics. And so it gave me the opportunity to keep, um, to have that conversation that the I've always to have. Yeah. But to be honest, what 14 year old are having those conversations, right? But the, the thing that for those you have to have an opportunity to meet her in person, you are that articulate. You are, you are that person that able to, to express exactly how you feel and what you want other people mm. to understand about you. And, and most of the time, those are only happening in the scripts, right? People go, oh, my gosh, what a well-written script. This is how people should right. speak. It's like watching West Wing, and you're like, do people really talk like that? But <laughs> you really do. <laughs> you, you have that span of education. And at age of 14, at that moment, did you realize that, okay, now I'm not just black, I'm black-ish, and I am going, I, I'm a mixed-race woman, and I have a voice, and at this time, did you know what feminism mean? Did you right. know what activism mean? I knew what feminism and I think humanitarianism meant through my family because I mm -hmm. come from a family of educators, a family of people that have always been involved in their community communities. So even going back to my grandparents, it was always a very big conversation in our house. But I mean, thinking about, I think Blackish gave me a title for myself, being somebody that's Black and Iranian, and very proud of both sides of my family. It was kind of interesting to try and have that dialogue of what does it mean to be responsible in terms of my portrayal of my communities? And what does it mean uh, to then be in charge, not necessarily in charge of, but to be at the forefront of this conversation that the show has started? Um, and so I think I, the first thing I did was just leave myself open to being educated because at 14, the one thing I knew for sure is that I did not know everything. <laughs> um, and so the show started some great conversations that I think helped me define my political opinion. And also just in general, I, I, I feel like, um, I remember the moment where I remember being like, oh, I have a voice. And I was 14. I was on a panel for the NAACP. And I was on this panel with a ton of, like, incredible people. Jose Antonio Vargas um, is a, like, Pulitzer Prize winning journalist who runs an incredible organization called Define America. And I was on stage with him, and it didn't make sense. Like, I it should not sense. be on stage at this person. <laughs> um, but I remember that moment uh being on stage and people asking me questions and realizing that I had an opinion and realizing that I had really believed in what I had to say and that other people were willing to listen and that I had the opportunity to be in conversation with all of these people that I feel like every moment I had a conversation, I was learning something new. And I think that moment of realizing I was able to balance being educated in a space that I was becoming more and more familiar with as well as developing and sharing my opinion was possible was really empowering. And did your did your family empower you to do that as well? Did your mom like like 
listen, because mm-hmm. I know your mom, so I know she she probably like, she probably set you down and go, now, girl, you got responsibilities. You got to talk and you got to listen. Look at these. This is perfect. Yeah. Thank you yeah. for yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the whole family conversation. And I, I'm so grateful to grow up in the household that I, I've grown up in because I think what they've done is something that I don't know if a ton of young people get was the opportunity to literally just constantly be in conversation constantly have people that genuinely valued what I had to say because I had an opportunity to kind of go through what I call the rough drafts of no one has a fully formed opinion the first time you speak about something like there's so much to learn so much to know but my home was that space where it was like this is how I'm feeling about this topic we'd be an in-depth conversation I may come out with a totally different opinion but I had that space this safe space at home with my parents to have those first conversations so by the time I came out into the world I felt confident in what I had to say I knew why I was saying what I was saying. I believed in it. And what's interesting is that your character and you could not be so different. <laughs> you two are so be, absolutely. You are so different, and and, and both of them have strong voices and opinions. Mm-hmm. How do you have have she bled into your blood more? Have you bled into her character more? It's a bit of both because when we started Blackish, I do have to say I was reticent because I was like, well. She's so opposite of who I am, but I know I don't want to just play Yara on screen. And so I think by episode three, we had a conversation with Kenya, who's the creator of the show, and Jonathan Groff, who's the showrunner. And just wondering where Zoe was going and how important it was to me that she had some sort of voice. It didn't have to be my voice, but just that we saw her develop an opinion. And from that moment on, um, I loved seeing how they built her character because, yeah, she may be a little self-absorbed, but that didn't stop her from being an entrepreneur, from having an opinion, from having all of these complexities and not having to be the perfect package, um, but, but somebody that was super complex. And they took that really seriously when I brought that up. Um, you know, not only people that had daughters, but people that kind of knew the importance of this show. And I think that's the similarity between you two, right? That the core, the core, the inside, the opinionated, the, the whole strong the personality, all of it, it, it's the core of your DNA. But what Absolutely. comes out, it comes from, and I could not be more, more excited to see that character develop because for some, for me who know you, I know yeah. complete, it's almost like I'm watching a reflection of an opposite, right? right. All reflections are always split in a mirror, so it's not really mm-hmm. a true reflection. So, so Zoe's almost a counterbalance of you, and especially a place that you can look at and say, "I can learn from her." Right. You know, and that that to me, when I watch that, I get the feeling that you're learning and you are still growing from the experience that her character brings you. Absolutely. I I think of Zoe, what she's helped me discover is that one, it's okay to mess up. I'm somebody where I'm surrounded by... Oh, she's by messing up of, now in Gornish. <laughs> right. But I'm, I'm surrounded by a ton of supportive people and I think oftentimes I put pressure on myself that I can't mess up. Even though there's nobody around me saying that. It's, even though I have a family that will be there for whatever happens, I think it's easy for me to look and be like, I don't have space to do this or that. And I think playing Zoe has been freeing to know that growing up isn't a linear perfect path of okay i made a mistake learned my lesson never gonna make that mistake again zoe has taught me you will make that mistake 20 plus more times before you even begin to make progress in that area and that's okay and that's that is so nice to be in that world i mean growing up i'm obviously i'm, I'm not american and growing up the pressure of being an immigrant in this country it's like you better do good you better listen right. you better this is what you have to do you're representing and mm-hmm. it wasn't until i got older to realize that okay 
I'm not no longer Yusai. I'm Yusai, who's Asian-American, and I speak the language, I speak Mandarin, and it's important that I represent who I am. And mm-hmm. the same reason I know we had this conversation, you asked me what I was doing. I said, well, I go back to Asia for a few months out of the year to film in Asia. I'm doing shows in native language. And for me, mm-hmm. it's so, so important because a lot of people don't do that. Once they leave mm-hmm. Asia, they come to the United States, they become quote-unquote successful. They they stay here. And, mm-hmm. and people are like scratching their head going, why did you go back to do a show that you're already doing the main version of Top Model in the U.S. and you would go to Asia? And for me, it wasn't about the pay. It wasn't mm-hmm. about anything else and say, well, I'm Asian-ish. I learned from <laughs> you. And I said, I'm Asian. Of course, I, I, this is why I belong. This is why I should express what I've learned in a Western culture. And the first couple of years, a lot of pressure. I felt pressure mm-hmm. how I represent myself. And both those of you guys know me, I represented myself in a Western world very differently how I represented myself. <laughs> and I learned, I learned a lot of mm-hmm. mistakes. God knows I made a lot of mistakes in the first few years of reality TV, but I had to learn that. And, and mm-hmm. I have to say, there are days I wake up and go, wow, I'm not allowed to make mistakes. Don't you feel that? Like somebody who's like, I can't make mistakes. Oh, I can't post this picture. I can, even especially through this pandemic and honest truth, I wrote down cry about three times. Just while we done with the live talk and I was mm-hmm. inspiring talk with someone, I turn the phone off and I just go into full tears because mm-hmm. it just is overwhelming uh, to, to trying to, to do the right thing, especially at this time. Do you feel that? Mm-hmm, absolutely. I mean, just going to, I remember when you would first share that you're making content in your native language and how important that is because I, I think it is, you continue to open doors and it becomes progressively easier and the path becomes clearer for people that follow behind you to be able to have that option. And we think about even the world that we live in now compared to when we first met, where yeah. native language content was so wow. something that like people could barely imagine, whereas now we're watching shows with subtitles and we're and winning Oscars, the world where they can Oscar be nominated. Yes, and yeah. winning Oscars. Um, but that's not something that was usual even a couple of years ago. Um, which crazy, speaks right? to the importance of, I think, Think even your commitment to being like, yeah, this oh, isn't you. usual. Yeah, this isn't not any like something that people may get right away. But this is why I think it's important. But speaking to your idea of the pressure, absolutely. I, I think um, again, I'm, I'm grateful to be surrounded by supportive people. But I always think about the fact that I'm, I'm a young Black Iranian girl, and I know I can't speak for the entire Black experience by any means, or the entire Iranian experience. I can speak to my experience, but. I think oftentimes the question that I have with everything I do is how is this being of service? And sometimes it's really clear and it's a beautiful moment where I'm like, I understand exactly what I'm doing. And sometimes it gets convoluted and complicated. And I I think for me, um, remaining purpose driven has been so important because otherwise all of this becomes so trivial. I think about award shows and I don't know how many award shows I think somebody professionally plans award shows to happen during times of crisis. Like I think somebody has like the master, oh my camera was wrong, the master calendar. Because I remember feeling quite honestly foolish to be at award shows dressed up nicely when I knew there was a riot in Charlottesville, to know that there was something happening in the world that was so serious. And that's what has consistently made me double down on, okay, well, this is the world I live in. How can I make the most of it to make impact in the places that, that I feel like there needs to be impact? How can I use you also, the platform I, that I have? 
But you make cautious decisions. I know I read an interview about you for Glamour magazine that you walk off a panel because you felt that panel did not represent the panel discussion that, that you should be part of. And that yes. that gives me the chill when I read that because we're we're very complacent what the industry provides us, right? You know, we set up a photo shoot, you're to do the interviews, and you just do almost becomes a job. And, and okay, there are people on the panel, I'm hired to do this, and you sit there. And for you to be able to say, this is my ground, I stand, and you can join me or I'll leave. You didn't throw a fit, you didn't you didn't scream at anyone, you just kinda like, this is who I am. If you want me to be part of it, this is where I stand. Yeah. I think all these all the people out there are so inspired by you because you have that ability and strength. And that again, I think attribute to your upbringing, from your family, your your listen, apple don't fall too far from the tree. And your mom, I cannot sing more praises about her. I love her so much. And I always told her we love her so much. I feel like I have a direct split of both of my parents. <laughs> Absolutely. But but I that's when I when I when people say well, Yara is a feminist, she's an activist, and these titles are so, we have to have titles, but it's so weird to me that, that because you have a thought, that thought makes you a feminist. And yet, if you ask them to define feminism, they define it differently for everyone. Right. It's interesting that you bring this up. I literally talk about this all the time because I understand the importance of having these titles, especially when we are consistently a part of communities of underrepresented people. The importance of being like, this is who we are, this is what we stand for. But at the same time, I think what we've gotten to discover is that one, each human is so complex that I feel like every time we define and then redefine these words and realize that somebody else is being excluded. And so I think one thing that I've struggled with for a long time is what does it look to undefine these words, to come to them as you mean? Or I was reading this one book and what I loved is, I think it was Bell Hooks, and she had said, I practice feminism, which was really interesting. Oh, um, I love that. Because so feminism becomes a philosophy rather than a, a a particular action and doctrine. Yeah, and I'm like, I think I'm so open to however people interpret it. But what I loved about that moment is feminism becoming an action, becoming something that you do and you perform. But that means that you can define, that you can choose how it relates to you. That it's, it's not just, okay, there's this one title. But I even remember, I think, when you go back to that panel, that's something, that's a situation that I've been in so many times, and I'm grateful to have had those experiences to then, when it came to that panel, be comfortable being like, I'm not participating. But even being in your studio, in your space, it was so, it's so rare and so refreshing to not be the only people of color. So many times I'm used to my team, my my publicist, my agent, my hair, and my makeup being the only people of color on set, the only, only people of any intersections on set. And I remember like coming to your set and being like, I'm so happy you bring that up because in, in, in our community, in the Asian community, I don't know if you know, but it's so competitive where we grew up. We're trained to be the best and only one person can be the best. Therefore, a lot of Asian in the community don't support each other. As much as they say Asian American group, whatever, mm-hmm. but in the day, they want to be the only one. And it took me a long time growing up to say, you know what? We have to embrace the people like us. And not because 
I'm celebrating because I'm Asian, but we're celebrating because we are the minority, and we are the minority in this business. Yes, there are a lot of Asian people in this country, guys. Don't don't give me the count of population. I know, but the fact to break into this industry for Black people, for people of color, for people. I think I'm a people of color, by the way. That you know. It's still every single day. I'm still fighting that battle. Will somebody give me a talk show because I'm Asian? I don't know. But you know what I'll do now? Inspired by people like you, I'll create one on my own. I'll produce my own. I'll create the mm-hmm. content myself. And that's the that's the beauty of the platform that we have today. But it's a constant struggle for me yes. still. Because for the longest time, I make excuses. I'm not successful because I'm Asian. I'm not this because they're not looking at they're looking at my skin color. It wasn't until I have to let myself forget none of that's excusable. Can't use them for 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 any of the reasons other than just do what you know how to do and do the best that you can do. And the doors open. I I I, I for years I, I love to cook and I I want to do a cooking show in America. I went to Netflix. I went to Food Network. And and before I walk through the door, I'm sure you have this thing where you have this situation when you're producing. Before you walk through the door, you go, um, Am I Asian enough to be the Asian guy on the show, or am I am I the right skin color? Because they already have one Asian person at four o'clock. Are they going to have another one at seven o'clock? That was my constant struggle to the point I said, You know what? I'll create my own clock. I'm gonna go right. produce my own show. I'm gonna get people who believe in me and do a show. And and yeah, and you in a position of producing. I'm sure you go through that because I hope one. I'm learning every day. And reason mm-hmm. I want you to be on the show is I want people to know a 20 year old mm-hmm. is inspiring people like me. And I'm not telling you my age because nobody knows my age. <laughs> so don't think I'm gonna say it. I can just tell you that I know her mom before she yes. was born. <laughs> but but the, the, that's. That's what I mean by like if I can learn from that process, I listen to so many of your your talk before I talk, mm-hmm. is that it's so refreshing to know that it's not about the color. I'll tell you when I realized I was colorblind and this is so important. I don't think the magazine even realized it. Is I had two years contract with Essence magazine about three mm-hmm. or four years ago when a new editor came in. And I asked myself, how did I get how am I shooting all the covers for Essence? And I'm not black. Now, but the crew is a lot of, we have a lot of mixed race people, we have white people, of every color. So it's very integrated. It wasn't like, oh, black people, crew, black people, magazine. It was every, but every time I show up, I always have a little smile on the back of my eye going, am I, am I black now? Am I, am I indoctrinated into this? So I sat down with the editor and asked her one day, I said, did you hire me because I'm Asian? Because I'm closer to black people than a white person? And she said this to me, and, and I always remember it, and I try to use that to define my work when I shoot. She goes, when I look at your, your work, I don't see color. I don't see you shoot black people the way people think black people should be photographed, or the way white people should be photographed, or a plus size woman should be photographed. You just photograph and capture mm-hmm. them. I remember, oh, I chose, because I remember that she was so specific as was happening on the shoot with Alicia Keys. And mm-hmm. I, it was like, oh, okay. Now I understand. That's a magazine that's essence. It's a it's a color cover always color people are colorblind. How powerful is that? Right? And I love I think what I love too and what I've always been thinking about is that there's another step of being color celebratory um, and, and culture celebratory. And I think what you represent and, and I think even essence in my working with them, they've always been so culturally celebratory because I think so many times 
as, as, as people of color or of any identity, the expectation is in order for us to get along, you have to put your identity aside versus you see me with my identity, my culture, who I am as an individual, and you're able to capture all of it. And it's not informed by these other things. And so I love, I love the idea of like, how do we create a conversation where we're consistently culturally celebratory? I, I love that so consistently, much. Consistently, I always think about so many people, not so many people, but oftentimes we'll hear rhetoric of like, they connected in spite of their differences versus, oh no, we connected because of them. Because we know what it's like to live such a specific experience and know how to honor your specific experience. It's like, that's, that's so valuable information. It's like when people say that people will go through all the hardship and make them stronger. And I always look on the other side. I said, you know, that's not true. That person was super strong already in order to go through that experience. And that's a very Absolutely. Asian way thinking is we flip on the other side a lot in a philosophical way. And, and yes, we all have trial and tribulations growing up. We all have influences we're trying to gather all the positive things but truly your core your dna doesn't change if you were strong in the first place you couldn't be who you are and for me more i talk to you more the the black part of blackish disappears and that's why i think the beauty of this world is that when you can stop thinking about the title before ish and just be ish everything and that's what you mean by culturally celebrate so many different things you know and, and I, I, can, I can talk to you forever and i know i gotta let you go soon but you guys go back to school but i do you want to be final it's finals you guys but i do want to ask you this because black is just such a heavy dna now as a mm -hmm. brand and and Grownish become the spinoff as well and i saw guys renewing so you do another season mm -hmm. do you worry that that you'll be typecast in this role that you won't be able to branch out and and spread your wings more yes and no i mean I quite honestly don't think about it because one, I believe in what Blackish is doing and I believe in what Grownish is doing. And I think as somebody where I've always known I'm very proudly Black, very proudly Iranian, and I've never quite viewed myself as half of either because it's gotten, because it convolutes myself. I feel like I, because I, I think let half oftentimes makes me feel like, oh, you're not fully this mm. versus I've always tried to find ways in which I can feel fully black and feel fully Iranian and feel like they come together in different ways every single day. And so I, I feel like because I love what Blackish stands for and also particularly Grownish, being in that journey where I get to walk into the writer's room and have a conversation with them. Being a producer. I, I think I got into this world because not only, not even because I watch TV, but because I love books, because I love James Baldwin, because I love the folklore that I used to read. Um, and so being in a production role, I think it's been so impactful for me to finally be able to really craft from the beginning the stories that I love to tell. And they're not confined by who I get to play because I'm not even thinking about that. I'm not thinking about making shows for me to be in. I'm thinking about, oh my goodness, I have this opportunity to either collaborate with a new writer to tell a story that I didn't even realize hasn't been told yet, or to collaborate with a new actress, to collaborate with a new producer. And so I think that has been so beautiful because I'm like, regardless of what I play on TV or in movies, I have this new opportunity to tell all sorts of stories, regardless um, of, of who I am, because I get to, if it's not my experience, then I get to go collaborate with somebody. 
Well, you're producing. I'm sure there's more stuff coming up. So what's next? What's next on your list yeah. before I let you go and back to school? Right. Yeah. All sorts of stuff. So, I mean, we'll have a couple exciting production announcements really soon that I'll be able to actually like fully share of just of shows that we have in the works. Um, but otherwise, I feel like it's been a nice mix of everything. Philanthropically, I have my voting initiative and we're going to be really revving up for this election, especially because of everything that's happening. We want to make the voting experience as seamless as possible because it's even harder now um, for, for communities to be able to have access to the right and information and to the polls um, to go vote. So that's something that's really been in the works for a while now. Um, and then I'm trying to think of what else we have. We have happening grownish considering another like we're we're revving up for a season four given with everything happening in the world we don't know how it's gonna come but it's been constantly building on every front well thank you so much i have one last question no, I'm gonna let you go. Yes. this is a great question that somebody gave me to ask you and that is because michelle obama wrote your your recommendation letter <laughs> does she check in on you and get the report card <laughs> <laughs> no report card checks, but I can, I promise the one thing I've never needed is people to check my grades because I'm such an overachiever that I'm usually the person that's hardest on myself. Oh, I love that. <laughs> I absolutely love that. Well, she's on my bucket list, so she's watching. I hope one day I get to work with you. But thank you so much for your time. Thank today. you. And please give love to your entire family for me. And I hope thank we get you to so talk much. again when school is less and when you have new announcements. And Amazing. please let me know if I can be any help with your initiative of any sort. I'm happy. Thank to you. Thank you. But have such a great wonderful Thank rest you so much. I want to thank Yara for taking the time to speak to me with her crazy school schedule and for using her voice to open dialogue and empower the community. Thank you to all my listeners for your constant support. Please subscribe to this podcast for more open conversations. You can visit our website at letstalkwithusite.com and follow me on Instagram at usite88 for update. Talk is a production of 88 Phases. I'm your host, Yusai. Our director, Louis Jaime. And writer, editor, and producer, Trevor Swingin'.